This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Gunatal back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series for our series, which is specifically focused on what we call the inside scoop. I'm very happy to be joined by Ben Jacobs from CBS Sports. How are you doing, Ben? You good? You well? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. The last time we spoke was back in January. You know, a lot of talk about Dusan Vlaovic at the time. Arsenal ended up signing nobody um, in the January window. Did that surprise you that Arsenal didn't bring anyone in? It didn't surprise me. I think that the Vlaevic deal was really interesting because Arsenal were confident and took a bold move to get somebody in a window where traditionally you would only sign box office or essential and you'd wait to do your business if there was nobody out there in the market the following summer. So I think they put their efforts into trying to get that star signing and there wasn't actually that much else available or in the pipeline at that time. And as a consequence, it is sensible not just to sign for the sake of signing. But obviously the challenge from Arsenal's perspective was there was two or three names that they desperately were linked with and wanted. And more importantly, there were a few positions, particularly in midfield and up front, that probably did need strengthening in January. Luckily, they haven't paid the price and it looks like Arsenal will finish in the Champions League. But I think that it's less about, am I surprised if they did or didn't sign anyone and more that from the names they could have signed, the disappointment was that they were in touching distance of one or two, including Vlaevic, and it never came to fruition. And that's the nature, unfortunately, of being played to some extent by either the player or the agents, because Edu fought hard, made his ambition clear. That's very positive. It shows you that the club have got that spending power and are happy to head in that type of direction even mid-season. But all it did was catalyse an unexpected move at that time from Juventus. So all sources basically said that Vlaovic may not want to go until the summer and Fiorentina were happy to bide their time. 
and then Arsenal try and be bullish, which is obviously a refreshing tactic at the football club. They don't quite get their man, but they certainly fought about as hard as they possibly could. And then Juventus sort of wake up and say, well, okay, we might not have the means at this point. We weren't planning on it, but if Arsenal are that close, we better come in. And the fact that he moved in January tells you how serious Arsenal were about almost signing Vlaevic. Because if there was nothing really in that, or they didn't stand a realistic chance, then Juventus would have in all likelihood waited until the summer because they were always of the belief that Vlaevic wanted to join them. So I think that they monopolised a lot of their time and effort on defined targets rather than just buying for the sake of it. And that's why I'm not surprised that nobody arrived. But given they didn't get any of their handful of targets, that aspect of the January transfer window was obviously very disappointing. Mm. Especially you considering that obviously Pierre Aubameyang moved on on the final day, which really kind of restricted the amount of options that Artes has had in that position until the end of the season. Um, Lacazette tied us over for a bit with the creation of goals rather than, of course, than, than scoring them. And now Eddie Nketiah has, has really come good. Do you think it's a window that Arsenal will, will learn lessons from going into kind of this summer, especially with hopefully Champions League football on the back of it? Well, Champions League football will obviously give them the ability to strengthen over the summer at a level that they wouldn't be able to if they don't finish in the top four. And that's even more important because, as we've seen only in the last hour or so, the Champions mm. League is going to be redefined into something a lot more similar to the European Super League plans. There'll be no group stage. There'll be a league format. There'll be more teams involved and ultimately the end goal is to commercialise that tournament even further, which will benefit the clubs that qualify for it. So it's more important than ever to be a part of that redefined Champions League now heading forwards than it has been in the past. And Arsenal's philosophy, I think, and Arteta's hope is still to strengthen in a summer window, create a nucleus that you believe in, add enough depth and then use that momentum to challenge for titles and succeed in the Champions League. So the January transfer window strategically has perhaps been a bit less important to a club like Arsenal. And I think generally, when you look at the Premier League, that's the same with a number of big clubs that you take a star name in January, but you build your nucleus in the summer. And if you're mid-table or relegation, it's the opposite. You start one way and then you realise you need a few more names in the January period because you're lacking a bit of depth or you've got injuries. So I think Arsenal have always focused on the summer above the January window. Whether or not they learn lessons from Vlerovic, I'm not so sure because I don't think Edu or Arteta could have done a great deal more. You have to have the ambition to go for the very best. And I believe that Vlerovic falls into that category. So there's not a lesson to be learned there other than Arsenal are prepared to spend and will chase names, even if others from the outside in believe that they're unrealistic or they're not the favourites. And I think that's a good shift in approach compared to Arsenal feeling like they're too far behind to enter a race for a player of Leovic's calibre. But with that step up, and again, you get that step up when you're back in the Champions League as well, you get a step up in suitors. So suddenly now everyone Arsenal wants so does Man City, so does PSG, so does Liverpool. So the change in approach for me, and I think the club are getting there from talking to sources, is more about feeling like when you want a name, 
Mm. It's not just about the negotiation. It's about the selling of the strategy, of the vision. And by that, I mean a player that comes in has to feel like they've got longevity at Arsenal, which means that Arteta is going to stay. And Arsenal have been pretty patient with Arteta to date, and they've reaped a reward, assuming that you qualify for the Champions League. So that's the first Mm. point. And then the second thing is when you sell to a player, that means telling them about where they're going to live, what their family is going to be like, are there schools for their kids? What's the climate like? Are there nice places to eat? Are there other players that speak their language or are from the same background as them? What's London like as a city to live in? How far is the training ground from the stadium? What is their future at the club in terms of their wage structure, their incentives? Who else that they might play with can complement their game? What's the level of coaches like? How hands-on are they? What kind of training session does Arteta take? And Liverpool do that really well. They go to a player and they don't just try and get the player at a price with a negotiation Mm. because they're Liverpool. In addition to being Liverpool, they give you all those other whys that I've just mentioned. And I think Edu and Arteta are becoming a team in selling Arsenal away from only a football club and making sure that Arsenal to players that come in in future is the right fit both ways. And then you get players that can adapt. You get players that are positive in the dressing room and you don't get as many clashes of egos. And I think that that's the lessons learned from Arsenal. And obviously the Aubameyang fallout wasn't ideal, but if you try and put a positive spin on it, even though he left Arsenal and scored a ton Mm. of goals that Arsenal probably needed from him, the lesson to be learned again is if you have a bad egg, and I'm not saying Aubameyang was a bad egg at Arsenal during his entire tenure, but the situation towards the end became untenable, even though fans will argue it both ways and there'll be plenty that are team Aubameyang and so on. But fundamentally, if you have a name that is not happy for whatever reason or is becoming a bad egg, or is creating a fraction, even if they're in the right within the dressing room, then again, you don't have the right fit, the right chemistry, the right balance. And that can have an impact on all kinds of things, including prospective signings that might come in and not want to be a part of that dressing room because footballers talk and they know what goes on in other dressing rooms as well. So I think that Mm. Edu and Arteta have learned lessons, not just from this last transfer window, but from working together 24-7 between windows as well, about selling the football club and about trying to get the right fits in and generating continuity at the football club. But the negative lesson that they need to learn is just when they move early in the market, they have to be a bit more defined on what their offer is. So that means doing that legwork with the player first in those areas that I've mentioned to make sure that the players sold on the club so they're not chasing a lost cause, but also being absolutely sure what their offer is in specifics, in financial values, in sign-on fees, agent fees, incentivizations, potentially wage rises over time or based on performance, because that's the kind of feedback I got with Vlerovic and a few other Arsenal pursuits is at times they've over-talked, they've held extra negotiations, there's been too much back and forth, whereas when Liverpool go to market, even when Manchester United go to market, despite the disaster that that football club is at the moment, they come in with a much swifter, much more focused, much more detailed offer from the outset. And that speeds up negotiations, whereas Arsenal have maybe been a little bit more business conscious 
and dilly-dallied mm. over pennies or terms or sale on percentages. And in doing so, that's allowed other suitors to be alerted to their pursuit and kind of gate crash it. Whereas maybe if they act a bit swifter in the market, it would have stopped a Juventus even realizing that something might have been happening and the deal could have got over the line before another suitor unexpectedly entered the market. I think we've seen that as well with kind of the, the transfer targets we're seeing at the moment linked to Arsenal because Edu has been putting in a lot of groundwork. We're seeing some interesting stories about Gabriel Jesus and, and the links with him going back all the way to November with talks between his representatives himself and Edu and Arsenal laying that groundwork, selling the project and obviously seeing that come to fruition this season, hopefully with the Champions League qualification as well. Uh, and the player that we're here to talk about today, I remember when we spoke back in January about Yuri Tillemans, you know, you mentioned that Arteta has admired him for a, a significant period of time. And that interest has, has, you know, now become a lot more substantial because as you've reported, it talks have been going on since at least January and he is, well, Arsenal are seemingly the front runners right now to sign him. So, so tell me and the listeners about kind of where this, this possible deal is at right now. So when we spoke about Vlerovic, the name that I dropped at that point was Tielemans. And I mm. think maybe caught some Arsenal fans by surprise. But the club have been talking to Tielemans' camp for the best part of a year. And they were made aware through those talks two things. One, that Tielemans would not be renewing at Leicester. And two, that Leicester would attempt to hold on to him for as long as they could, providing they got a reasonable fee. And reasonable fee is either, in a best-case scenario from Leicester's perspective what they paid for him, which was around 32 million. And worst case is 25 million and anything within that bracket. So probably minimum fee, 25 million, maximum fee, 40 million. And Leicester are prepared to sell as opposed to keeping on to a player that wants to leave and then finding that his contract expires. And in doing so, they get nothing from mm. him. So the fee is important enough to Leicester that they will sell him. And that helps Arsenal because of two things. One, when Tielemans joined Monaco in 2017, his other option was Arsenal. And he was fully sold on the football club, but he didn't actually have the confidence in his own game to feel he would play often enough and wanted the game time first at Monaco in order to kickstart his career. So it's like a full circle move for him in many ways because he obviously can end up at the club that he dreamt of playing for when he moved to Monaco via Leicester City, where he's established himself as, I would argue, a world-class player, but certainly a top, top Premier League player, still mm. with that potential to be developed. He's tenacious, he's box-to-box, -box, he's intelligent, he can score wonder goals from mm. long range, I think his movement off the ball and the way that he connects play in smaller spaces, particularly when the ball is still along the ground, needs a little bit of work. And there's still an aspect of defending and playing in a more rigid position that I think Arteta could develop. So it's not the fact that he can't defend. He likes getting stuck in, but he's used to going box to box. He's used to winning the ball and moving forward swiftly and directly but in certain games, you're needed as more of a defensive pivot 
holding in central or deeper midfield and playing long balls forwards, but maintaining more of a fixed position centrally. And that's where I think he's got a bit more time in his career under a different coach to develop and would fit well into Arsenal's system because he would offer versatility in central mm. midfield, which is exactly what Arsenal need. So where we stand at the moment is you've got a player that wanted to join Arsenal in 2017, has spoken to Arsenal through his people on at least two separate occasions. And in essence, they've agreed terms. So wages, not a problem. Incentives, not a problem. Fee, not a problem for Arsenal. And Leicester know that there's a willingness to sell. And Tielemans rightly has asked to assess offers and has made it a requirement of mm. this particular transfer to wait to ensure at all costs he gets Champions League football. Yeah. And even though it's almost now nailed on that Arsenal, after that win over Leeds, will get UCL football, he's still going to wait before 100% committing until the very end of the season. Because if he doesn't, and there's two or three clubs that he's prepared to join, mm. and he ends up not playing Champions League football, then he'll feel that that is unwise and rushed. And that is why it will still be at least a couple of weeks before we're going to see any final decision. But within the Premier League, Arsenal has his preference. He's equally as unsettled by the Manchester United situation as I think most of us are. Um, we're not even contemplating joining that football club. He knows I'm not unsettled. I'm loving it, Ben. I'm <laughs> absolutely loving it. <laughs> I think, though, you can love it and mock it and laugh at it from the outside in, but mm. there's still an element of every football fan that naturally says, thank God that's not my club. And oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> there is that aspect of appreciation of how unstable it is at the moment. And Ten Hag is of great appeal to a number of players because they know mm. he ticks boxes of being a man manager and of caring about you as a person and a footballer and of being very fair to his players and not always tinkering with selection. So if you get into that side, then you know you're going to get a lot of minutes. But Manchester United are not in the Champions League and that means that they're no longer in the equation. And from Manchester United's point of view, they're hearing that story from a number of players. So Tony Rudiger as well, who will join Real Madrid, also said to Manchester United, not interested despite the wages, the reason being, because once again, it's a case of Champions League or nothing for mm. players that dream of playing regularly in that tournament and or are used to playing in that particular tournament. So Manchester United is out of the equation. Spurs under Conte were uh, late suited to Tielemans. So when we first spoke about this, there was no substance to any Tottenham move. But I think that Conte is a fan of Tielemans and Spurs get wind of the fact that a London move is of appeal. So obviously mm. you can leverage that much like Arsenal are doing. And, you know, from Tielemans' perspective to go from Leicester to London, it's not a big move for him and his family he gets to carry on as normal in a league that he's used to. And I think he'd be equally as confident of playing regularly at Tottenham as well. But there's no advanced talks there yet. So Tottenham very much behind in any kind of approach for Tielemans. And I think that Tielemans, from what I gather, does really respect being courted. So the fact that mm. Arsenal have had, over the course of a year, two meetings, two lots of talks, they've laid out their vision 
And that vision has come from Edu and Arteta. He knows what he's going to earn. He knows what the lifestyle is going to be like. He knows what the transition is going to be like. And he's got Champions League football. That, for me, tells you right now that if Real Madrid links had not entered into the equation, it would pretty much be a done deal at Arsenal. And yeah. Arsenal main front runners because Real Madrid have not held any advanced talks either. So after the Champions League, it's going to be interesting to see whether he is genuinely on Ancelotti's radar. And I think Tielemann's camp feel they can leverage a possible Real Madrid move against an Arsenal move to get the best possible deal with Arsenal still being the most likely destination. So Arsenal are confident. The Tielemann's camp are privately very much openly saying that they think Arsenal is the most likely destination. But they're never going to rule out Madrid because mm. why wouldn't a player like Tielemans want to go from Leicester to Real Madrid to a potential Champions League winners to play under Ancelotti? These are all things of appeal in theory, especially when you know that Real Madrid in Tielemans' position have a number of ageing midfielders. So that aspect makes Madrid a kind of dark horse that might delay a move to Arsenal. But as we currently stand, Arsenal are big favourites. Arsenal are the most likely destination and Arsenal are in the most advanced position. So when I talk to Arsenal sources, they think they're going to get him over the coming weeks. When I talk to the Tielemans camp, they're not denying that's the case either. Yeah. But of course, until your UCL position is official... And until they determine if Real are actually going to make a move after the Champions League, nothing will be set in 100% stone. Let's talk about Tillemans, the player, because beyond just uh, your journalistic side of, you know, covering football, you're a Leicester fan, Ben. Um, and, uh, you know, I've enjoyed some fantastic stuff over uh, the last half decade plus uh, with, with a title, of course, and seeing the replacement of such big talents moving on and then coming through again. But this season, you know, Tillemans has faced criticism and, you know, we do a daily show in which every single day we talk for the latest Arsenal news. And whenever I bring up Tillemans, there is a fair amount of resistance from some Arsenal fans about Tillemans because they look at what's happened this season and they, they feel as though maybe he's not necessarily going to be an upgrade on what Arsenal have because Xhaka's had a very good campaign. Partey, despite his injury issues, you know, we know is a world-class central midfielder. And you've got a young player and, and, and compatriot of Tillemans in Sambi Lakonga coming through. El Nenny's coming and done really, really well. And, you know, it's surprising that we talk about El Nenny and it looks similar that he's going to be signing a contract extension as well very soon for another three years. And at the start of today's show, I put a poll into the chat box in which over 300 of you have now voted and 82% of you have said that you would take Tielemans, but there's still 18% of people, Ben, that need convincing. So here's your pitch <laughs> to convince that 18%. Well, I think that the beauty of Tielemans, as I alluded to a moment ago, is in the fact that he's still got a ton of potential. So you're buying a quality Premier League player who can be full of midfield goals and assists, but still has a huge amount of development. And Arteta is probably the right manager to bring the best out of him. And he's been given quite a free role at Leicester. And mm. that's why he's got box to box. And I think most Leicester fans would actually say perversely, he hasn't had his absolute best season with Leicester. But what he has done is have a habit of weighing in with important goals. 
So I was actually really impressed with him in 2019-20, where he only scored five goals, but he played 45-odd times, and he was just hungry, and he appreciated the positive pass, and he mm. won the ball back, or he received the ball, and it was always a positive pass. And then last season was a breakthrough, and he nearly got into double figures of goals, weighed in with a load of assists, was good from set pieces, showed decent movement off the ball, got box to box. And then this season, the numbers are still good. I mean, six Premier League goals and a hatful of assists as well, seven goals in all competitions, and still has played in virtually every match all season. By the time the season ends, he'll have played another 50-odd games. Mm. So the positive qualities are he's a player of stamina. He's not injury-prone. He can take set pieces. He can get box to box. He weighs in with assists. He scores spectacular goals. He can take a game by the scruff of its neck. The negatives are that he's often too intent on getting box to box. And when asked to play in a slightly more rigid role, doesn't have as good a positional sense. He plays the positive pass, but mm. sometimes it's at the detriment when it wasn't on. So there needs to be a little bit more intelligence development. So you want a player that's always looking to play a positive pass. And I think Bruno at Newcastle is going to be a good example of this, you know. Oh, I regret course. that. Miss so much how we didn't get him. Yeah, he's a regret. He really is. Yeah. But, you know, he's not mature yet. So obviously mm. he's gone viral because he scored a load of goals. But I watched him play against Southampton. And prior to scoring a back-flicked goal, he was giving mm. the ball away left, right and centre. So sometimes you just need to take a breath and slow things down and look around you a bit more. And I think that that's in Tielemann's development, you know, even if he isn't a defensive midfielder, what if he was asked to play there? Or what if he was forced to play there to try and give that extra string to his bow and um, just temper the temperament at times? And then maybe the final aspect, depending on how Arteta plays, is just that chemistry and relationship with the rest of the players. So, you know, this is a player in Tielemans that's been used to playing with a 20-plus goal scorer and Arsenal haven't unfortunately had that really. I mean, Obama Yang, yes, theoretically and often statistically, but not at the football club anymore. But if you go kind of beyond that signing, really since the Thierry Henrys and Ian Wright mm. and so on, Arsenal under Wenger morphed into this fluid interchangeable series of players, all of which could get you, let's say, five to 12 goals a season. But there wasn't one that you would absolutely put your mortgage on that was going to get you 25 goals. Mm. So with Tielemans playing from midfield, he's had a focal point and he's known the freedom to get from midfield centrally into attacking areas or linger on the edge of the box and then be able to take long-range shots. But when he moves to Arsenal, or if he moves to Arsenal, he won't necessarily have that freedom on the edge of the box to just keep pulling the trigger or weave himself into a position of trying to get the shot away because Arteta plays with more intricacy in wide areas and around the box which means keeping the ball on the ground, which means shorter passes, which means give and goes. And that is maybe the area of concern to Arsenal fans that they haven't seen enough of him linking up intricate play with the ball on the ground 
in tight spaces around the penalty box. So when you think Tielemans, you think worldies like the goal that he scored in the mm. FA Cup final. You think set pieces, you think ball winning, you think bombing forwards. But you don't necessarily think about a given go on the edge of the box. You don't necessarily think about a deft finish and you don't really think about him floating into wide areas or covering somebody else's position because somebody else in an Arsenal team has moved into a different position because it's more of a fluid setup than it is at Leicester where we're very defined and we've got perhaps more focal points. We're more predictable, but it's well-oiled when it works, especially on the counter-attack. So I think that that's why maybe a minority of Arsenal fans may think that he's not a fit, but having seen him train and play, what I can tell you is he, he's very versatile and intelligent on the training field, which means that as long as you get the technical aspect and the stamina aspect and the hunger aspect and the finishing aspect, all of which are born high quality talents that he possesses, mm. everything else can be developed to become an Arsenal fit very quickly, in my opinion. Look, he's a player that I think has been talked about, especially from an Arsenal perspective, for a long, long time. As you said, you know, there were talks when he was thinking of moving on um, in what, 2017, I think it was. Um, and Arsenal's midfield has been a position that has continuously been an area of criticism for why Arsenal haven't necessarily stepped up that area enough in terms of quality. You know, they, they've stuck with Xhaka through periods of questionable form. They've brought in Thomas Partey, but they didn't necessarily build on upon him in 2021 when the opportunity really was there. And instead, they went for depth in Sambi Lakonga. And now, as Arsenal go into the Champions League, fingers crossed, um, that position again comes forward. And, and Tillemans, I, I agree with you, is a top-class, can border, in my view, on, on world-class central midfield talent. And, and at his age, has got you know a ceiling still to reach as well. It's, it's going to be, for me, about how those areas of development that you've highlighted, you know, are taken on by Arteta and and change because you, you talk about interplay on the outside of the box that, you know, that's something that Arsenal have, have been known for a long, long time to, to like about players is to be able to find those intricate pieces of, of play, find the space. You see what Martin Odegaard's done this season, find those, those gaps in a defence and feed the pass through to the wide forwards running into the box and hopefully for a top-class striker as well in the summer. Whether Tielemans is able to add that string to his bow using your analogies is I think the way in which Arsenal can elevate his game to that next level. And he looks a player that can certainly take on and progress forwards as well. Um, we're going to take some questions from the chat box, if that's cool, Ben, um, from some of the people that are joining us this afternoon. I hope you're enjoying the chat. And if you are, please make sure you drop a like on the video and subscribe. Make sure you're following Ben on Twitter as well, at Jacobs Ben, to keep yourselves up to date with all of the latest transfer information going on around. Uh, let's jump to uh, Michael, who says, is there a better fit than Tielemans that would cost about the same? And I've seen another of other questions asking about other central midfielders, such as Ruben Neves, who has also been linked with Arsenal as well, of course. Uh, Fabian Ruiz is, is another one that's been linked too. So why do you think that it's Tielemans that's kind of that priority amongst others that have also been linked? And do you think it's the right choice out of those? I think it's a great question. I mean, there's plenty of fits and Nevers is a definite one that is going to be available too. And Wolves seemingly have made it clear that they are prepared to sell and perhaps even privately resign to losing that particular player. The price obviously favours Tielemans and I think that Arsenal don't see a great deal of difference between the two. But Wolves want something in the region of 60 to 70 million mm. 
and Arsenal might get Tielemans for 25. So then you've got the best part of 40, 45 million available if you want to spend that kind of money to bring in a second player in a different position. So I think that the appeal of Tielemans is not necessarily over another player because football clubs don't always put available names head to head in that context this late in the process. So you scout who's out there, you look at who's available, you look at who the right fit is. You're obviously aware of different options, but once you've fixed upon an option that you think is right, you're not going to change that approach because another name suddenly hits the market unless you feel like you can't get your original target or a newer name is better value. And in this case, it's the opposite to that process that Tielemans came first. Arsenal locked in talks with Tielemans' camp. They realised because of his expiring contract situation that there was value in the deal and they won't turn, for example, to Neves and pay 45 million more to get what they perceive to be a like-for-like kind of signing. And with Tielemans only being 25, he ticks plenty of boxes as far as Arteta is concerned. He'll be at his peak for three or four more years. He could stay at Arsenal for six or seven seasons. He's playing for a top international team with also a very good manager with a similar-ish philosophy, you could argue, to Arteta. So there's definitely a decent fit and chemistry behind that. Other midfielders will naturally become available within the market, Mm. but Arsenal are locked on a central midfielder specifically. That's not to say that it has to be box-to-box. That's not to say that the player they sign has to be someone that scores X amount of goals. And it's certainly not to say that they have to be so changeable from how they're playing now that it's more about the development than a finished product being bought. But the beauty of Tielemans is that he allows you to go both ways. So if you sign him now and play him as he is being deployed now, you effectively get somebody that will always be on the edge of the box, will make late runs into it, will put his head down and cover a lot of ground quickly, will score goals and has a decent delivery. And if you think about it in terms of adapting him, you have to strengthen Mm. the intricacy around the box, the selflessness around the box and the intelligence to know when to actually take a breath back and focus more on defending, especially if Arsenal are trying to see games out. So the guilty aspect of his game is at times in being overly positive, but also in playing a lot of hopeful balls, longer balls forwards. So if you're trying to see out a game, you need to know how to win the ball back and then keep it, not play those direct counter-attacking style balls that cover a lot of ground, but maybe give the opposition the chance to win the ball back quickly. And that's not the right approach for when you're trying to see out a game. And Rodgers has been working on that with him at Leicester anyway. But I think what makes Tielemans the front runner compared to some of those other names that you mentioned is in essence the fact that Arsenal are more advanced, but also the fact that, like I alluded to before, he's just good value. There's no one I can think of out there that's as much of a finished product of Tielemans for the price that he'll be available for that's better value than Yuri Tielemans. Yeah, I, I think Edu did a recent interview where he talked about Arsenal wanting to make, you know, one or two big signings. And I think people maybe misconstrued those words to be just that when it, that's not the case. Arsenal is certainly going to be looking to do multiple deals. It's just who, what 
couple, one or two players can take Arsenal to the next level in a certain couple of positions, one being, you know, at striker and the other we look to at central midfield. And Tielemans, you know, I think certainly upgrades upon a number of players that already are at Arsenal with the potential to even supersede those, all of the potential candidates for central midfield at Arsenal in the near future. So at that price, Arsenal can, as you've already mentioned, operate in a way in which they can get that quality player in and they've still got plenty of, of wiggle room to, to go for other players during the rest of the summer window. Um, Christopher Chan in the chat was moving slightly away from the Tielemans talk saying, what do you make of kind of these, these rumours about Raheem Sterling's future? And of course, that links into Gabriel Jesus is being talked about as well. And a number of people in the chat box have also brought his name into the equation. Would, like, where do you kind of see those two and, and Arsenal's possibilities with Sterling and, and Jesus? I think the Gabriel Jesus one is unlikely to happen. And, and even though Arsenal are interested, the unfortunate nature of football is that Jesus came back at the same time that Arsenal expressed an interest into the Manchester City starting lineup and scored a ton of goals. And I think he's mm. fought his way back into Pep Guardiola's thinking. And that has resulted in a stronger possibility through the summer that Jesus will stay at Manchester City rather than move to a club like Arsenal. And that's why I think that Arsenal have turned their attention to Tammy Abraham. And I actually think that there's a strong possibility that Arsenal could land Tammy Abraham and Jose Mourinho has somewhat opened the door to that transfer. The challenge with Abraham having been over to Rome is that he's loving life there. So... Mm. He has to be persuaded upon a return based upon Champions League football or wages, because if you're selling it on lifestyle in London, he's delighted to have moved away and is really enjoying Rome. But it's difficult playing for Roma, high expectation, not in the Champions League. And the training ground is in an area called Trigoria, which is miles away from the centre of Rome. So you end up kind of living in a very private, secluded villa, which can be great for the family. You get a swimming mm. pool, but you're not really in a built-up area where there's a particularly vibrant social life unless you drive into the centre and the traffic's tough. And obviously footballers don't get a lot of time off anyway to do that kind of thing. So London could be a sell. And I mm. think there's some mileage for sure in Tammy Abraham to Arsenal. I don't see Gabriel Jesus joining because of his form. And if he does, it obviously adds complications to terms and price. And then Sterling's an interesting one because I do think that the door is open for Sterling to leave Manchester City. And I think there will be almost a North London derby style pursuit for Sterling. And mm. from what I gather, should he leave Manchester City, Tottenham are ahead of Arsenal in that particular pursuit. So if Sterling is to join Arsenal, then Edu and Arteta are going to have to move quite quickly. But I think that Sterling is very intent, even though he'll know Arteta very well, to play under Conte as his next manager if he is to make a move. And the reason for that is because Tottenham have given him guarantees about style and about position. And I think Sterling feels under Guardiola that he, as he's aged, has kind of done a full loop of what's required of him. Mm. So 
he's gone from kind of wide to forward to false nine almost to focal points to box to box to wide again to forward again and he's been relied upon for goals and then he's gone back to someone that's supposed to be a bit more selfless and then he's aged a little bit maybe lost a little bit of pace and confidence and if you look at his full cycle as a footballer he had everything except the finishing and then there was a point at Manchester City where he suddenly couldn't stop scoring goals and now he's a bit more hit and miss and he's playing a bit less often and there's lots of different players in that position and I think that Tottenham's pitch is around let's get you back to doing what you do best which is scoring goals and I think Arsenal's pitch is going to be let's get you back to what you did at the beginning of your career which is being a very fluid very versatile wide player that cuts inside so I actually mm. think it's almost development for what direction he's going to head and I don't think Arsenal and Arteta would be prepared to tell Sterling he would join the football club and be relied upon as the main source of goals because that feels very Arsene Wengery. It feels very interchangeable. It feels very undefined about where your goals are coming from. And I think that it's important, therefore, that Sterling, when he makes his decision, knows what he's in for. And it wouldn't at all surprise me if he determines in the end of it that Spurs is better because he gets a slightly more rigid guidance as to how he'll get to play. And I think that that style that he's offered at Tottenham, if he leaves Manchester City, will be in his mind a better fit than at Arsenal. Uh, before you go, Ben, uh, a few people in the chat box have asked for your view on Thursday. Um, ben, who is going to win the Spurs against Arsenal, says Zander. And Akshat says, who does Ben want to win the North London derby? So give us your thoughts, mate, on uh, just, just as it was we wrap up, where your head's at going into this Thursday's crunch game. Yeah, of course. I'm just taking a little walk around my home as well to plug myself in so i don't i've been there i know exactly how that goes apologies for the late movement um hope it's not as dizzying uh for those watching the camera as it is for me yeah i mean look the north london derby it's become a, a a great fixture for arsenal in the sense that there's less pressure on it all of a sudden and it's now must win for Tottenham. And even if Arsenal lose, the UCL future will still be in their own hands. I think that Arsenal are coming off the back of a slightly laborious win over Leeds. I was surprised at how difficult mm. they made it in the end because Leeds were obviously down to 10 men for so long after Luke Ayling got sent off. And when they got a goal back, there were kind of jitters. But the away win at West Ham and the victory over Manchester United and Chelsea was superb. So I think that Arsenal have proven on the big occasion over the last few weeks that they're able to get a result. And Spurs have always been that little bit Spursy, haven't they? Even under Conte. And they were very, very good against Liverpool, in fairness, away from home. I think they put everything on the line in that. But I'm thinking about the nil-nil draw with Brentford. I'm thinking about the one-nil defeat to Brighton. I'm thinking about the 3-2 defeat to Manchester United. I'm thinking about the cup loss to Middlesbrough. They lost to Burnley as well in February. So they're really not having a particularly consistent year. And therefore, the challenge for Arsenal is about managing the occasion and making sure 
that they do what you do against Spurs, which is stop Son, stop Kane and get a result against them. And they're susceptible at the back. So I think that if Arsenal treat the game like a must win and forget about the table, then I think they get something from the game, whether it's Mm. a draw or a win. And my prediction under those circumstances is Arsenal win the game by two goals to one. But that's my scoreline. <laughs> really? Love that, yeah. Yeah, uh, but because of the table, if they go in and kind of change the approach and park the bus, uh, because they know that a draw will, will do it effectively, mm. that's when I think Spurs will capitalize on that negativity and win the game. And then I can see Spurs winning two or three one. So I think it's just really important that Arsenal forget about the circumstances and play the game on its own merit, regardless of the table and the breathing space they've got. And if they do that, I think they win the game. Mm. From my perspective, I think I don't think I don't want to see Arsenal playing too negatively, as you say, but I also think there's a little bit of, of credence in pointing out the fact that from an Arsenal perspective, the last two times we've gone to Spurs, we've played entirely into their hands. We've overcommitted in an offensive sense and we've been hit on the counter in Spurs. I mean, if we're honest, they're probably the best counter-attacking side in the league. So hence why they've you know got six points against Manchester City this season and they've taken two points from both of their games against Liverpool this season. So when, when you overcommit against Spurs, it often doesn't lead too well for you. So I quite like to see Arsenal to be a little bit a little bit more conservative than maybe they have been of late, but as you say, in the same time, still being as dangerous as possible on the break. And I think that there is an argument with Ben White coming back fit, fit thankfully, and Tommy Asu doing such a good job on the left-hand side against Rafinha, that maybe Ben White, Rob Holding, Gabriel and Tommy Asu form an unorthodox back four in this game, as Ben White has played a number of times at right back for Arsenal and England. And now Tommy Asu has shown that you can, you know, go up against a, one of the top Premier League right-wingers in Rafinha and, and keep them quiet. So I think there's definitely scope for that possible lineup. Ben, thank you so much, mate, for coming on the show this afternoon. Really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy man, so we do really appreciate it. Tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to, mate. Yeah, great talking to you and Arsenal fans. Good luck for the rest of the season. I'm sure that you will finish in the top four. You might even pip Chelsea to third, given their inconsistent form. Mm. You can follow me at Jacobs Ben, CBS's handles at CBS Sports Golasso, Golasso spelled G-O-L-A-Z-O. So CBS Sports Golasso, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok as well. And in terms of what I'm going to be up to, well, CBS, we're the rights holders for the Champions League. So my main focus is the Champions League final and the Europa League final. Hard life, I know, having to go to <laughs> in a few weeks' time. And the Chelsea takeover has been a big part of what I've been covering over the mm. last few weeks as well. I mean, most of what I do away from transfers is investigative journalism around the business of sport. So although I do get wind of transfers too, I do like to follow these longer running sagas around acquisitions and the finances of football. So that's my focus as well. And then over the summer transfer window, but also the women's Euros, which will be a massive thing as far as the growth of women's football in England is concerned. And then hopefully a holiday and a breather before the new season starts again. Yes, uh, I hope you do get one. And, and on women's football, I mean, there's some really interesting news coming out, uh, according to The Athletic, that Miedemar will be renewing her contract for an extra year, um, which is very, very good news 
for Arsenal. We're very worried that they were going to see her go off to Barcelona. So that's fantastic. Uh, and on your, your business in sport look as well, uh, we'll have an interview coming out uh, on football.london that I conducted with Ben a little while ago. Um, but we thought best to release it ahead of the game against Newcastle on Monday, where we have a chat about kind of how worried Arsenal should be about Newcastle and their ambitions. So make sure you check that out over on football.london when it comes out, probably most likely over the weekend. A massive thank you again to Ben. A massive thank you to you guys watching in the chat box. And of course, on playback, if you've enjoyed it, do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the Guna Talk if you're new. We'll have our North London Derby preview at 7 p.m. live tonight before our 8 a.m. show tomorrow morning, as always. See you soon. Have a great day. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.